Good morning. I like that kind of welcome. Makes me happy. Hey, glad you guys are here at Orchard this morning. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin in just a little while this morning. As you're turning there, one of our values here at Orchard Church is that we are about the kingdom, not our kingdom. We're not just about trying to build a church right here and, and that's it. We're trying to reach people up and down the front range here in Colorado, in the United States and around the world. And so as God gives us opportunities to partner with other ministries to be a blessing, we want to do that. And we've been a part of eight church plants since we started 10 years ago. We have helped eight different churches get started and about six months ago we started financially supporting every month a new church plant in Las Vegas. It's called Common Ground. A friend of mine, Ben Barfield, is the pastor. They're just getting started. They're meeting about once a month on Sundays right now. And because of the incredible uh, financial gifts and generosity of this church, we were able to start taking them on financially every month. And Ben called me a couple weeks ago and he said, you know, and they're not even meeting on su every Sunday yet. And he goes, we're going to take some students to youth camp for the first time. We thought we were going to take four or five. We have 18 students that want to go to youth camp that have never been to youth camp. This is a picture of the group. And he said, the only problem is we don't have enough time to raise the money to, for them to go. Can Orchard help? And we paid for over half of these kids to go to camp because of your generosity. So thank you guys for um, your gifts. And the best news of all, he told me last week, 10 of those 18 kids that had never gone to youth camp before accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So isn't that awesome? I just want to let you guys know about that and know about the difference you're making, not only here, but around this country. So thank you for generosity. I also want to give you guys a quick update about our new building. Anybody excited about our new building that's about to happen? Uh, we have been praying that we will be able to hopefully break ground in September. That's our target date, our goal. Uh, we reached another milestone with the city last week. We uh, passed our preliminary plat with planning commission. So we are fully zoned. We're fully annexed. We're past preliminary plat. So we can see light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train. So that's good. And so we believe we're getting close. It's closing in. So be in prayer. Uh, a big piece right now you can be praying for is our development agreement. It's basically our contract with the city, all the things that they're asking us to do and we're agreeing to do. And then once we get that settled, we'll get our building permit and we'll be able to break ground. We are stepping out on faith because it's closing in. We're going to want to put this date on your calendar, September 25th. Sunday evening, September 25th, we're we are planning a ceremonial groundbreaking right here out on our land. So super exciting time. Uh, so be getting ready for that. And all this is made possible because so many of you are sacrificing by giving to our legacy campaign. Uh, we kicked this off a year ago. We had um, over, uh, I think it was like 300 families at Orchard Church committed $2.5 million over the next three years so that we can stay out of debt as much as possible. Over $700,000 of that commitment has actually already come in of that commitment. Can we just celebrate and praise God for that? So uh, we have yet, we have still yet to have to tap into any loans or anything like that. We've been doing cash with everything. Uh, we've had 10 people already completed their legacy commitment, and some of them even exceeded what they committed. And so we praise God for that. One of the things that's really blessed my heart, we've had uh, a few of our families that they've had to relocate because of jobs and things, and they've moved away. And several of them came to me and said, even though we're moving away, we believe in what God's doing at Orchard Church. We made a commitment to the Lord, and so we're going to continue to send our commitment back every month. Isn't that awesome? And so that's, that's really cool. So hey, if you're newer to Orchard and you weren't here when we did the Legacy Campaign, it's not too late to get involved so that when that building starts and the ground's moving, you know you've got a part in what God is doing in the changing of hundreds of thousands of lives. So go to our Got Questions table. You can pick up a brochure and a packet. 
and read about that and join in because we want you to be a part of all that God's doing. But thank you for your incredible generosity so we can make a difference in this community and around the world. Well, today we are continuing our summer series called You Asked For It. Well, you guys gave us hundreds of questions and what does the Bible say about different topics? And so today we're going to be answering uh, some of your other questions in this series that we consider controversial subjects or, or questions. Now, here's the ground rules. Here at Orchard Church, our number one value is what does the Bible say? So when the Bible is direct and clear on a subject, I'll tell you, this is what the Bible says. We're not going to add to it, take away from it. We're not going to make apologies for it. If the Bible says it, we're going to say it. In the areas where maybe the Bible isn't uh, speaking directly to a subject, I'm going to tell you this is my opinion based on biblical principles. This is my opinion. If it's my opinion, you have the right to disagree with me. You also have the right to be wrong, okay? Just going to throw that out there. Just kidding, all right? But one of our values here at Orchard is that we keep it real, and you guys kept it real with some controversial subjects. So today we're going to be answering your questions about alcohol, marijuana, homosexuality, transgender, tattoos. Uh, This is your warning now. If you have young children in here, uh, there may be some of this that might be a little sensitive for them, so you might want to take them to Orchard uh, Kids if you're concerned at all about that. So as we get started, man, I forgot my water this morning. I usually have water out here, and so I don't know if somebody could help me out. she, oh my gosh, Marcy All, what is, well we know what Marcy All does backstage during the services I guess, Got, brought me a Corona, I guess, I guess assume this is a beer, this, uh, uh, so this, uh, this ties right into our first question on your notes, is it a sin to drink alcohol, amazing the coincidence that it ties into our first question like that. Is it a sin to drink alcohol? Well, let me, let me just do a, a quick little poll and, and be honest about this. Don't be shy. We did this in the first service. Um, how many of you actually like beer? You like beer, okay? All right, all right, put your hands down. How many of you would say, you know, Pastor Doug, if, if you were to decide to, you know, maybe later drink this beer, I don't think that would be right. I think it would be wrong if, if our pastor drank a beer. Any, anybody? Okay. All right. A couple people. I appreciate that. I respect that. That's fair. How many of you say, you know, pastor works hard. You know, he's human too. It's okay if he, you know, maybe wants to have a beer at a ball game or something. I, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that. Raise your hand. Okay. Oh, I love this church. You guys are <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you know, let me, let me uh, set you at ease. Those of you that don't think it would be right for me to drink this beer, uh, I have a strict no alcohol policy before noon, okay? So, so I won't be drinking this. Now, some of y'all are like, well, it's five o'clock somewhere, you know, and so I, I, I get that. But this isn't really my brand anyway, so I guess I'll just toss this aside. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, he seemed awfully excited about that. Hey, let's give it up for our Spanish pastor, Marcel. Oh, well, you know, as we answer this question, is it a sin to drink alcohol? You know, if you look at the different cultures of the world and even different cultures in the United States, I mean, I've been in some places in the U.S. where I've been at pastor's conferences and pastors go out to dinner afterward, and if I were to order a beer or alcoholic beverage, they would take me out back and stone me to death. I mean, that's like a big no-no. You know, there's other parts of our country like Colorado. I go to pastor's conference and, you know, almost all the pastors are having something. It's not, not a big deal. I've traveled around the world there's there's parts of the world that when you go there Europe I've been with missionaries and we've gone into people in their church's home and they'll offer you a glass of wine or beer and if you don't have that it's an offense to them I mean it's very offensive and so it just the cultures say lots of different things about alcohol is it a sin is it not is it okay when is it not okay but here's the deal Orchard Church we don't allow culture to determine our decisions 
we allow the word of God to determine our decisions. Amen? So we're not going to answer this based on what does culture say. We're going to answer this based on what does the Bible say. So what does the Bible say about drinking alcohol? You have it in your notes. The Bible is clear, first of all, that getting drunk is always a sin. The Bible is absolutely clear that getting drunk is a sin. Let me share some verses with you. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul said, help me out, church, don't be drunk with wine. Some of y'all are like, well, is it okay to be drunk with beer or whiskey? No, it means all alcohol, okay? And you'll see that in just a minute in another verse. Don't be drunk with wine or alcohol because that will what, church? It can ruin your life. And unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people's lives ruined by alcohol when they get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of allowing alcohol to influence and control you, allow the Spirit of God to control you and influence your decisions. In Isaiah uh, chapter 5, it says this, what sorrow for those who get up early in the morning looking for a drink of alcohol and spend long evenings drinking wine to make themselves flaming drunk. So the Bible is clear. There are always, you, you can check it out yourself, there are over 70 times in the Bible that it speaks against drunkenness. 70 times it says that drunkenness is wrong, drunkenness is a sin. So we can say emphatically based on the word of God that drinking to get drunk is a sin. We also know there's consequences. I mean, God's trying to protect us from these things. It can make you sick. It can make you make really unwise and bad decisions you would not normally make. It can ruin your marriage. You can lose your job. You can get sexually transgressed transmitted diseases, sleeping with somebody you wouldn't normally do that. Uh, you can get pregnant. You can get a DUI. There's all kinds of problems. It can kill you. Uh, people have died. Uh, the number one killer of teenagers is alcohol-related accidents. So the Bible is very clear that drinking alcohol to get drunk is a sin. Can we agree with that? And that's what, if you believe the Bible, that's what it says. But drinking alcohol without getting drunk is not a sin according to the Bible. Drinking alcohol without getting drunk is not a sin. We can't make a biblical case that any drink of alcohol is a sin. So if you want to have, you know, a margarita with your Mexican food or a beer at the ball game or a nice glass of wine with your, you know, T-bone steak, I would suggest Cabernet or Merlot. That's what they tell me. I've heard that somewhere. Then, you know, no big deal. Uh, the Bible says this. The psalmist said in Psalm 104, 14, he's thanking and praising God for all the blessings of life and things he's given us. And this is one of many verses. He says to God, you allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad. Not drunk, but to make them glad. It's a blessing. Wine, olive oil to soothe their skin, bread to give them strength. So he's praising God for the blessing of of wine. We, let me remind you, remember the story of Jesus? The very first miracle that he ever performed was in Cana of Galilee. He was attending a wedding ceremony. It was very customary to have wine at that ceremony. They ran out of wine. They looked to Jesus and remember this? He turned the water into what? Wine. He turned the water into wine. I mean, guess we could say he kept the party going. I mean, he did. And then, and it wasn't just any wine. When they tasted it, the host of the, the wedding said, this is the best wine. Jesus didn't make no cheap wine. You know that stuff you get from Trader Joe's? No, this was the good stuff. Uh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, he, he made the best wine, and, you know, culture would say that he partook in that. We, we know that Jesus drank wine at the Passover meal. Last week, we talked about communion that comes from the Passover. We know there was at least three cups of wine in the Passover ceremony, maybe even as many as four, and, and Jesus partook of wine uh, in that context. The Apostle Paul said this to young Timothy, gave him this instruction. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink what? 
a little wine. Notice he said a little wine, not two or three bottles of wine, okay? Drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. So drinking alcohol to get drunk, biblically, is always a sin. But drinking alcohol without getting drunk is not a sin. That's what I believe the scripture teaches. Now, I do want to share one other passage with you, though, that I think we need to take into consideration on a subject like this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they were taking their liberty and freedom in Christ, and they were overstepping the bounds of that liberty. And they were doing things that were not pleasing to the Lord, and not just drinking. There were a lot of things involved. And Paul wrote this to them in 1 Corinthians six twelve. He says, you say, I am allowed to do anything because of freedom in Christ. But not everything, say it church, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. What's Paul saying? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And so I think sometimes the better question is not, is it right or wrong or is it a sin or not? Maybe a better question is, is it wise? Is this a wise decision based on my circumstances, who I'm with, what's going on? Is it wise? And and you have to make that decision and allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you in that. If you have struggled as an alcoholic, it's not wise to have a drink at all. If if, if I know I'm going to be around someone that's an alcoholic, I'm not going to partake because I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone that struggles in that area of their life. I'm going to protect my my testimony and and their testimony. And let me say this. If you're here at Orchard Church and this has been a struggle for you, if alcohol has been an issue and and a struggle for you, we have an incredible program to help you overcome that struggle and addiction called Celebrate Recovery. meets on Monday nights, and we would encourage you to be a part of that because we are here to help people um, release the strongholds and addictions in their life. Amen, Orchard Church? So if that's been a struggle to you, then I'd, I'd encourage you to do that. And so you gotta, you got to take that into account. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. You've got to use some, some wisdom and some discernment. I would also say this. If you're under 21 years of age, and in this state, it's illegal. And so the Bible says you're not supposed to partake in things that are illegal, which are obey the laws. So is drinking alcohol a sin? Getting drunk is a sin. I don't think we can say drinking alcohol in and of itself is a sin. So that's how I'm going to answer that one. Are you guys nervous yet? Because it gets, it, gets, it gets harder, okay? Uh, here, here's another one. Uh, you guys asked this question. Is smoking marijuana still a sin now that it's legal? Yes, but putting it in brownies is not. No, I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a joke, joke, that's a joke. Uh, we do now live in the true Mile High City. Um, it is now legal, so is smoking marijuana because used to it was easy for pastors to teach that you know smoking marijuana is a sin because it was breaking law and it used to be illegal and now you know smoking marijuana is legal so people go well is it still a sin you know marijuana cannabis pot weed mary jane wacky tobacco whatever you i went to college okay i did not inhale all right some of y'all will get that it's you guys can laugh today it's okay some of y'all are like can i laugh at that or not i don't know okay if we're going to answer hard questions we're going to have fun with i'm going to have fun up here with or without you okay here's what i would say to this question all right we got to use a lot of principles because the bible does not directly speak to marijuana if you're looking for the word marijuana in the bible you're not going to find it um here's what i would say just because something is legal doesn't mean it's right right I mean, just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's right. I mean, pornography is legal, but it's not right. Adultery is legal, but it's not right. Abortion is legal. Gay marriage is legal, 
So what, what, what do we do with this subject? Well, the Bible isn't specific to it. Uh, there's some people that would be on the side of saying, oh, you know, smoking marijuana, no big deal. I mean, after all, God made it. They'll take you to this verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, where God made everything. And it, I don't know if you've ever had anybody use this, but I've heard people that like to smoke marijuana use this verse to, to prove their case. And, and they even realize, the land produced vegetation. All sorts of seed-bearing what? Plants, yeah, it's a seed-bearing plant, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produce plants, and the trees are the same kind. And God saw that it was good. It was good. And they say it like that, okay? And they say, see, God made it. Well, let me remind you that cocaine comes from a leaf. Heroin comes from things that God made. So I, I think we're taking that a little bit out of context to use that verse to say it's okay to smoke, to smoke marijuana. Let me remind you what Paul said in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. What did he say? Not everything is good for you. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. They recently did a study, the Journal of Neuroscience came out, and they found that even small doses of marijuana can lead to mental illness and can kill your brain cells. Just small doses. I need all the brain cells I've already got. I don't need to be losing any anymore. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I must not become a slave to anything. N nothing that's addictive. And it's been proven that marijuana can be very addictive. It can lead to l other addicting drugs. It's a gateway drug. You know, and, and this is my personal opinion. When someone's smoking marijuana, it's not because they like the taste of it. It's to get high. It's to get under the control, to get under the influence so there's no other real reason to smoke it. And the Bible says we're to be under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs, I think, is a great verse that applies to this subject because it's not directly spoken to in the Bible. And it says this, help me, church, wise what? Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. So is it wise? You know, is it good for you? Can it be harmful? Can it be addictive to you? Now let me say this. If it's for medicinal purpose and as under the direction of a physician who has prescribed it, that's different just like other drugs are if it's been prescribed by a physician. But so here's how I would answer this question. You know, is it, is it still a sin to smoke marijuana since it's legal in Colorado? Since it's legal now. Here's what I would say. It's hard for me to say emphatically it's a sin. But I believe it's easy for me to say it's not wise. It's not wise. It's, it's not good for you, and it's not a good decision, okay? Well, if I haven't offended you yet, I will on this next one, all right? Here's your question. Why is homosexuality a sin if people are born that way? People want to know why, and we hear this all the time, why is homosexuality considered a sin if people are born that way? And I, I want to, we've had some fun, but I want to be sensitive to, to this subject, because this is a sensitive subject because we all probably know. How many of you all know someone who is a homosexual? You know someone. All, all of us. I mean, we work with them. They're our neighbors. They may be our friends. They may be our own family member. They may be our son. They may be our, our daughter. Uh, they may be a niece, a, a nephew. We, we all nowadays know someone that has chosen this homosexual lifestyle or is, is a part of this. So this is a very delicate and sensitive sub subject. And it should be because it involves people. It involves human beings and it involves people that we care about and that we love. And so as Christians, we know what the Bible says, but we know how we feel about these people and we love them and we care about them. And I, I got to be careful I don't spend too much time here because this, this is a hot topic and I have a lot I would like to say about this. But here's, here's what I would like to say to you guys. Here's, here's where I am on this subject. I think the problem in America, especially among Christianity when it comes to the homosexual lifestyle, gay, lesbian, transgender, all of that stuff, 
is that there's this huge swing of the pendulum between grace and truth. And you got one group of Christians over here. They're all truth, thus saith the Lord. But there's no grace, there's no mercy, and there's no love, and there's hatred. And they swing the pendulum over here. And then you got another group of Christians over here that they're all grace, and they're all love, and they're all mercy, and all feeling, and there's no truth. Let me remind you that Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus, when he was on this earth, was full of grace and full of truth. I believe that we can have a balance of both of those. We can say it graciously, lovingly, and mercifully, but also share what the truth of God's word says and not water it down. Amen? I I want Orchard Church to be known for a church that is full of grace and full of truth. That we're not over here with all truth and no grace, but we're not over here all grace and no truth. And I got to just, and this just gets me going because I I see some Christians and they attack this subject because they, they attack people and it's all truth and there's no love and there's no mercy and there's no grace and there's hatred. And, 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 then, and anybody they know that's a homosexual, they, they treat them like a project instead of like people. And they think, you know, like if I, if I lead someone to Christ that's a homosexual, I got some special crown in heaven. Like that's some sin different than other sins. And, and it's not. And I, I mean, there's some Christians, the way they go about this subject and the hatred and the venom that is in it and, and, and no grace. And I, I just want to say, would you just shut the hell up? Amen. Did I just say that in church? Yeah, I guess I did. It is a Bible word. I mean, do you ever feel that way, church? It's like, you, I mean, we, we want to speak the truth, but there's got to be speaking the truth in love and there's got to be a balance of these two and i hope orchard church will be known as a church that we do things with full of grace but full of truth we don't water down what the word of god says but we do it in a loving gracious and merciful way so with that in mind let me tell you what the bible says if i can say it as graciously and lovingly as i can the bible says in leviticus chapter 18 verse 22 do not practice what church homosexuality i mean that's pretty clear That's pretty direct. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 1 verse 26 says this. That is why God abandoned them to their their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. A woman with another woman. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, the way God designed it, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this what, church? This sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. You say, but what if somebody is born that way? You know, what if they're born that way? How can we call it a sin? And you know, I I used to, 15, 20 years ago, I, I used to say, well, people aren't born that way. I don't believe people are born that way. Until I studied the Word of God enough to realize we're all born sinners, Every one of us. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 5.12 that because of one man's sin, Adam's sin, it's passed upon all of us. We all were born with a sin nature. And even once we accept Christ, the Spirit of God is in us. We still have a sin nature that pulls us down the wrong path to make bad, wrong decisions. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes, church. We still have a sin nature. And our sin nature pulls us in different directions. Paul referred to it as the sin that so easily trips us up. For some people, their sin nature pulls them toward alcoholism. For some people, their sin nature pulls them toward pornography. For some, their sin nature pulls them towards lying or, or gluttony or greed or cheating. We all have a sin nature. So why is it not possible that someone is born with a sin nature that pulls them towards the opposite sex? 
I believe that is very possible. I believe that is precisely what is happening. But, and people are choosing to act upon that sin nature. You, you see, if, if most men will be honest with you, their sin nature causes them to want to sleep with every beautiful woman they see. But the Spirit of God in them says, no, that wouldn't be right. Our sin nature never gives us a license to sin. Amen? No matter which direction it pulls us. And so I believe that there are some people that their sin nature pulls them in that direction against the word of God and what God has intended, just like our sin nature pulls us in a direction opposite of God's word. People will ask the question, can a homosexual be a Christian? Can you be a homosexual and be a Christian? I would say, yeah, you can. Just like the alcoholic can be a Christian. Just like the guy who sleeps with his girlfriend and he shouldn't before they get married can be a Christian. Just like the drug addict can be a Christian. Now, there's consequences to all those sins, but it's no different. The Bible doesn't say, well, you can't be a Christian if you're homosexual. It's still a sin, but it's no different than some of our other sins. Um, can a, people want to know this. Can a gay person change? You know, can, can, they, can they change? Well, let's see what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 9 through 12, you're right there in 1 Corinthians. And this talks about a lot of different sins that we've all probably struggled with in one way or another. It's not just homosexuality, although that's listed in this list. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, any kind of sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch this. Some of you, say it church, were once like that. We all, a lot of us have that testimony, don't we? We were once like that, but God changed us. We changed but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, by the Spirit of God. I believe through the power of God and His Holy Spirit that He can change any of us. He can change us to make the right decisions, to go the right direction according to God's Word. Now, does that mean that we don't still have that sin nature that maybe still pulls us that way? No, it's, it's still there. We still wrestle with it, but we make a decision to say yes or no to it every day. Whatever sin it is, homosexuality is just one of many that are listed in the Scripture. I was reminded of this and how we can make this decision, how God can radically change our life, even though it may be something we've struggled with our entire life. Uh, when we were on our trip to Hawaii the first of summer, I went to church one Sunday with a couple that used to go to Orchard. They now live in Hawaii. We went to church with them at a church called Hope Chapel in Hawaii. And I met this gentleman, and he shared his testimony with me after church. And this is my new friend, Paul Whiting. His name is Paul. And Paul told me his story. And here was his story. He said, I, as growing up, I always knew that I had a tendency to be gay and homosexual. I knew it as a kid. My dad knew it. Everybody knew it. He married a man at 20 years of age. He was married to another man for 45 years years 45 years they were married and then his husband passed away he died he was very lonely he was very lost it was Easter Sunday and he said I just felt like God said go to church he said I hadn't gone to church that wasn't part of my life and I walked into a church the church that I was attending that morning on Easter Sunday he said I heard the story of how God loved me enough to send his son Jesus Christ to die for me and that day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and it changed my life forever and now he's, he's a leader in their church. He serves in their church. And I said, well, where are you with the homosexual thing? He goes, he's, here's what he said. He goes, I will always struggle 
toward a tendency to be a homosexual. But now I choose to please God instead. He said, it's a choice I make. The tendency in my sin nature is still there. But now, and now he calls it a sin nature. He said, but I choose to obey God instead of giving in to my sinful flesh. Isn't that a powerful testimony? I mean, it was amazing. And I asked him, I said, what made the difference? I mean, this is a rare story to hear of somebody coming out of that lifestyle and making that decision. And he said it was two things. The genuine love of God through Jesus Christ and the love of God's people. The love of God's people. Not the hatred, not the put-downs, not the funny jokes. The love and grace. There was a balance of grace and truth that came into his life that made all the difference. It might be amazing what a difference it might make in some other people's lives if we will come with a balance of grace and truth. So that's how I'll answer uh, that question. Tough question, tough one. Um, here's another one. I'll answer this one fairly quickly. It kind of ties into it. Is it wrong to be transgender? Um, the Bible doesn't speak specifically about this. Um, we know in our society today there are 63 different genders that are recognized. 63 different genders. I mean, how many bathrooms are we going to end up with at Target? I mean, this is getting a little crazy. Um, but here's how I would answer this question. I, I believe in a God that doesn't make mistakes. And he's the one that made all of us the way he wanted us to be made. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it says, he created them, help me church, male and female. In God's eyes, there's only two genders, male and female. And he blessed them and he called them human. It, it goes on to say in Psalm 139, the psalmist is praising God of how he made us. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Let's say it together. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The psalmist was praising God for the way he was made. I think for someone to try to tr change the gender given to them by their creator is to say to God, God, you messed up. You made a mistake. I don't believe in a God that makes mistakes. So that's how I'd answer that one. Uh, we'll have a little fun with this next one. Uh, a lot of you ask this question. Sh should a Christian get a tattoo? You know, or is it okay for a Christian to have a tattoo? And some of y'all right now are like, oh, how's he going to answer this? You know, and, um, recent study found that 40% of 26 to 40-year-olds today have a tattoo, 40%, almost half, probably soon there will be half, of 26 to 40-year-olds have a tattoo. Uh, there was a poll that was taken among Christians asking Christians, is it okay to have a tattoo or not? 61% of Christians said, it's okay, yes, to have a tattoo. 16% said, no, it's not okay to have a tattoo. 23% of them said, it depends on the tattoo. You know, if it's a naked man or woman, then no, or a satanic symbol, or, you know, a cat or something like that, then... <laughs> That would definitely be sinful, you know, so got to lighten things up a little bit here. So, so is it right or not, you know? And, and people that would be on the side of saying, yes, it's okay to have a tattoo, they would say, you know, it's just artwork, it's personal expression. Some people, you know, do Christian symbols and verses, and it's an opportunity to open a door to share your faith and talk about it. People on the other side that would say, no, it's wrong to have a tattoo, it's a sign of rebellion, it's cultish, it's a satanic practice. And so you got all kinds of stuff. Well, it doesn't really matter what you and I think. What does the Bible say? What does this book say about Tattoos, not a lot, not a lot, but there is one verse, okay? Now, now, hang on before you outwardly respond or you might be embarrassed, but here's what Leviticus chapter 19, 28 says. It's the one place in the Bible that addresses tattoos. It says, do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not, mark, let's say it together, mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. And some of y'all are like, well, there it is. 
God said, don't mark your skin with tattoos. That settles the issue. Well, remember the, what I always teach you guys about studying your Bible. The three most important rules of Bible study are, help me church, context, context, context. What is the context of this one verse in Leviticus chapter 19? This was uh, the Levitical law given to the nation of Israel after they left Egypt and their bondage and they left all the false gods and pagan gods and all the Egyptian pagan worship. And God said to them in, in this verse, Leviticus 19, 28, first of all, he said, don't be cutting your, yourselves for the dead. Because this was a pagan, uh, satanic practice that when someone would die, they would cut their skin and let the lifeblood out, uh, you know, trying to save their relatives. And he said, don't, don't do that. And then he also said, don't put tattoo markings on your body. And the tattoos they were putting on their body were tattoos of pagan gods. They were satanic symbols. They weren't just any, you know, tattoos. They weren't scripture. The, it was a common practice, practice of the Egyptians to put these pictures of, of satanic things and idols and false gods. So if you're going to go into Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, and take it out of context and use that verse to say nobody can have a tattoo, then you also have to apply all the other verses in Leviticus chapter 19, right? Which one of them says that you can't ever wear clothing that's mixed material. So if any of y'all are wearing cotton and polyester, you know, if you look at your tag, it's like 60-40, you're sinning. All right, because that's right there with the tattoos. It also says men can never cut your sideburns and never can shave your beard. Can't cut your beard. So some of y'all are more spiritual than others today. All right, the people with the beards are like, yeah. So I mean, you, this is a Levitical law, and Jesus came and it says He fulfilled the law, and so we have freedom in Christ. So I don't believe that you could take that verse and apply it today and say we can't have tattoos. Um, because of that verse. Some that would say it's okay to have tattoos um, will go to uh, Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns on the white horse. It says on his thigh will be printed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know how it's going to be on there. I don't know, but some say that kind of sounds like a tattoo. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Here's my advice. Here's my opinion. Take it or leave it about tattoos. Here's what I would say. Um, If you're going to get a tattoo, first of all, remember, it's going to be there forever, okay? And, and, and let me just say, whatever, what looks good on you at 22 may not look so good at 72. Okay, just keep that in mind. Um, my kids, you know, are, are now um, 19 and, and, and almost 21, and they wanted tattoos when they became teenagers, and they were like, I want a tattoo, I want a tattoo. And I, I, this was my, me, uh, as parents, this decision we made. We said, when you're 18... You can get a tattoo, it's your decision, you're 18, but we want you to wait till you're 18, you've got to live with the rest of your life. Some parents say 16, that's your decision. I will say this to the kids that are in here, if you are still at home and you're living under your mom and dad's roof and they're putting food in your belly and they're putting a roof over your head, if they say no tattoos, no tattoos. You get out on your own, it's your choice, okay? The Bible says obey your father and mother, amen church? And so that, that plays into that. You say, well, do, does any of the staff, the leadership team here at Orchard Church, do any of them have tattoos? Well, we took a poll. This is a sample <laughs> of the tattoos represented among the leadership team and the spouses at Orchard Church. About half of our staff or spouses have tattoos. You guys will have to figure out which ones belong to who. If you can get all of these right, these tattoos, maybe we'll, maybe we'll give you some kind of prize or I think we've got a six-pack of Corona back there or something. I don't, I, I don't know that we could give to you. And some of y'all want to know, well, does Pastor Doug have a tattoo? Well, you have to figure that out. If you follow my Facebook page, there might be a hint on there, okay? Um, moving on. Uh, 
We were gonna, I was going to try to get to dinosaurs today, just not going to have time. Go to answersingenesis.org. You can read all about dinosaurs. I believe they're in the Bible. Uh, read Job chapter 40, Job chapter 41. You can check those out. I want to close with this question, the most important question of the day. It's, it can be controversial in, among churches and among Christians. And some of you ask this question, can someone lose their salvation? You know, if you, once you accept Christ, can you, is it forever or, or can you lose it? There's sincere Christians on both sides of this. Some say once saved, always saved. Some say, well, you're saved, but if you do enough bad or walk away from the Lord of love enough, you can lose it. I believe this is going to be debated until Jesus returns. I don't think this is something that needs to be divisive. I don't think you, churches need to be split over this issue. Um, I'll tell you what I believe the Bible says. You have to make your own decision. But we all have known someone who at one time professed to be a believer and then you look at your, their life now and there's no evidence, there's no fruit. It seems like they've totally walked away from God and either they're backslidden and they need to come back or some would say, well, they had it and they lost it or maybe they never had it in the first place to, to begin with. Here's my belief on this subject. I'll tell you what I believe the Bible says. You have to make your own decision. I believe that someone who has truly, genuinely put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God indwells them, takes up residency in their life, and I believe that they are born again into the, into the family of God as a child of God, and that they cannot lose their salvation if they truly did accept Christ. I do believe that in once saved, always saved, for people who truly did accept Christ. I'll share a couple of verses before we wrap it up. John uh, chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who what, church? believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become children of God. I believe that once someone accepts Christ, they're born of the family of God, they're a child of God, and just like my children, when they were born in my family, they, they're never gonna not be my kids. It's impossible. I will always love them. They'll always be my children. I don't always like them, but I'll always love them. <laughs> And they'll always be my kids because they were born into my family. And, and the Bible says that we're born again into the family of God. We have a, a, a physical birth that puts us in our earth, earthly family. We have a spiritual birth that puts us into God's family. I believe once someone is born into that family that we are in God's family. He, he doesn't kick anybody out of his family. Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 tells us this. All who are victorious, that's Christians, will be clothed in white. And I will say it, church, never erase their names from the book of life. I believe the Bible teaches that when someone accepts Christ, the moment of salvation. There's a book in heaven. I call it God's reservation book for heaven. He writes our names in the book of life. Some refer to it as the Lamb's book of life. In scripture, you see the Lamb's book of life, that their name is written down there. And Jesus says, I'll never erase their names from the book of life. He doesn't say, I'll keep it there until you do enough wrong or if you commit this sin. He says, never. Never means never. I just take God at his word. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10 verse 27 my sheep listen to my voice I know them they follow me I give them what church eternal life see I think here's one of the problems with this argument I don't believe eternal life starts when you die eternal life for a believer starts the moment you accept Christ it says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be saved you have eternal life not you don't get it one day and so when you die the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord so the moment of salvation you have eternal life your body will die but your spirit and soul go immediately to be with the Lord and so Jesus says I give them eternal life it means it never ends and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me um, another scripture that I would, would reference would be Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. I, I believe this. If we don't work 
If we don't do any works to gain our salvation, we don't do any works to lose our salvation. Because our salvation is not based upon our works, it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not about what you do or do not do, it's about what you believe. Amen, church? It's about what you believe. And this is me. I... I'll tell you what I'm, I am more concerned about. I'm more concerned not that someone can have their salvation and lose it. I'm more concerned about people who think they're saved and they never had it. They never had it. And I think a lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance between their head and their heart. Because it's one thing to know about God, it's another thing to know God, to believe in Him, to have faith in Him, to put your faith and trust in Him. It's, it's one thing to have religion, it's another thing to have a relationship with Him. The scariest verse in the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus said one day there's going to be people that said, you know, we talked about you, God, we knew about you, Jesus, and all this, and He's going to say, you know, um, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Not I knew you and then you lost it. I never knew you. And so today, if you're here, if you have any questions, any doubts whatsoever, if you've truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or not, make sure you settle that today before you leave. Don't take any chances on this subject. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Um, I pray that we'd apply it to our lives. We thank you that we can bring our difficult, hard questions to you, that we can follow your word, we can follow your principles, and that we, Lord, can know you in a personal way. We continue in an attitude of prayer right now. You know, um, the basis for answering all these questions this summer has been God's word. God's word. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't know God's word. You know, and they have a lot of questions because they just don't know God's word because they haven't made God's word a priority in their life. To read it, to study it, to be discipled by it, to live it. And so I think one of the most practical questions I could ask you this morning as a Christian is, do you make God's word a priority in your life? You know, because as you make it a priority in your life, all your questions will be answered. How many of you would be honest enough to say, Pastor Doug, would you pray for me? Because I need to make God's Word more of a priority in my life. To read it, to study it, to know it, to memorize it, to apply it. Could I pray for anyone like that this morning? Would you lift up your hand for prayer? God bless you. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Father, I pray that we would be doers of your Word and not just hearers. I pray that we would read your Word, we would study your Word, we would memorize your Word, we'd meditate on your Word, so that when we have difficult questions, we know that your Word has the answers. When other people ask us difficult questions, we, we know your word well enough to know what it clearly says, directly says, or at least the principles that we can apply to the situations and circumstances in our life and the questions that we have as we spend time knowing you and knowing your word. So we continue an attitude of prayer right now. You know, maybe there's somebody here this morning and, and you know who you are if God is speaking to you. You know about God, but do you really know God? Do you really know God? Do you know you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know for sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know for sure that you've been born again? If you have any doubts or questions at all, you can make that right with God right now. You can right now make sure that God is writing your name down in His reservation book by accepting Him by faith. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The way we call on the Lord is through prayer. So I'll help you with the prayer. You can pray this prayer right where you sit from your heart to God's right now. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you believe it and put faith behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life right now. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me and mean it? It goes like this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. Jesus, come into my life. 
Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to be a part of your family. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you. If you just prayed that prayer of faith just now, I want to pray that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus. Would you slip up your hand right now so I can see it? Say, yes, I, I prayed that prayer and I meant to. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Yes, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Several people. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. Lord, they have been born again into your family as children of God. They are now our brothers and sisters in Christ. We welcome them into your family, and we rejoice in their decision today. And we thank you for your goodness that we can know you in a real and personal way, and that we get to be with you for all eternity. And we have your word to guide us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Can we welcome some new people into the family of God today? Amen. Amen. If you raised your hand just now and you said, I accepted Christ, I prayed that prayer, I meant it, please let us know about that. That is a very important decision, the best decision you'll ever make. Let us know about that on your connection card uh, there in your newsletter. Drop in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can continue to pray for you, send you some information in the mail that will help you in your new journey with Christ. If you're a first-time guest today at Orchard Church, thanks so much for being our first-time uh, guest. Uh, hopefully you filled out your guest connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. We're not interested in your money today, guests, but we're definitely interested in you. We'll send you a thank you note, a free gift in the mail. And so let us know that you're here today. If I didn't get to meet you personally and you're new to Orchard, I'd love to meet you. I'll be hanging out in the courtyard by the white tent. Uh, so come by and introduce yourself. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to continue our series. You guys ask a lot of questions about prayer. We're going to answer your questions about what does the Bible say about prayer uh, next Sunday. Right now, we're going to check out what else is going on around Orchard Church. So you don't want to miss this. Don't go anywhere. We'll also get a chance to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings. So check this out.